This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Thursday Buckeye Talk. We're doing rapid fire again. Double Marie, Save the Baird, Stephen Means. We have rants that we twist into questions. Uh, got the rants podcast up a little bit late on Wednesday morning. Sorry to you guys for that, but we appreciate you joining us here on Thursday. Of course, on Friday, double Buckeye Talk Day. We got the game preview of Ohio State Rutgers. Nathan, Stephen, and I will take care of that. And then the betting preview, it's me and T. Shoe. Double dose on Fridays. People want to talk about shoes. And I thought this would be a good one for the three of us to deal with. So this is from the 614. This is Evan in Oregon. Ohio State is becoming the most culturally relevant school in the nation and has solely claimed tier one swag. LeBron James, Louis Vuitton cleats, Rolls Royce, Apple watches, etc. Ryan Day is sneaky good at making a culture athletes want to be a part of on and off the field. Maybe it's the three primetime games, but we have capitalized on all of them. I don't really know what's up with the cleats, Steven. I don't know. Are you this? Who wants to talk us through? So Marvin Harrison Jr. wore fancy cleats, right? And... Yeah. Is that good? Like, is that, did that make Ohio State? I think this is an interesting concept because it's not culturally relevant for the sake of being culturally relevant. It's culturally relevant for the sake of being something that recruits are then interested in. So it's not just like, hey, you're cool. It's like, hey, you're cool and you can use it. What do you think of this whole premise, Stephen? Uh, yes and no. I think it kind of goes back to the, I think a couple of weeks ago, and you guys didn't agree with me at all, this idea that Ohio State's the Lakers and the, the Bama's the Spurs, where it's just like Bama just wins. People know who Bama is just like they know who the Spurs are, but they're just more concerned about winning. While there is a little bit of flash to the Lakers, there's a little bit of flash to Ohio State. Now, regarding the cleats first, those were actually Nike cleats that Marvin Harrison wore. And just for some background, he wore he wore some cleats on Saturday against Wisconsin that had Louis Vuitton. Uh, logos all over him there were nike cleats he probably just had somebody put a whole bunch of louis vuitton stickers on him just to like customize his shoes so he didn't have louis vuitton uh cleats on we should not be expecting that to be a thing it's just some cleats he has he actually has a lot of cool cleats in there he's got you two probably don't know what this is but off-white you know what the off-white brand is no you know who Virgil we, we are off-white is? i know quality <laughs> <laughs> Virgil Abloh, uh, rest in peace. It's his brand. Uh, it's, uh, Marvin Harrison has a bunch of like the, the uh, sneakers like that in his locker room and stuff like that. So like Marvin has a lot of swag. So yeah. that's just something he should wear. I don't know if somebody told him to change them at halftime because ESPN pointed out or he just changed his cleats at halftime, but he didn't have them on in the second half. And then the Apple Watch part of this, a lot of the receivers actually do this. Garrett Wilson's worn Apple watches in games. I remember seeing Benjamin Victor wear it in a game. I mean, Odell Bell Beckham Jr. wore a, a, a Patek Philippe in a Cleveland Browns game before. So receivers wearing watches and, in and games. And people went crazy. And people, people went crazy. Because that's like an actual expensive yeah. watch, not an Apple watch that's $250. So this is not a new concept. But I agree with it a little bit because – Ohio State is already kind of a brand as a university. I mean, fans get annoyed with the whole the thing, the Ohio State. So, yeah, there is something to this. But some of this is just simply teenagers wanting to look cool while they play football. And as Deion Sanders said, you look good. You feel good. You feel good. You play good. Are they just wearing the Apple Watches to track their steps? Like, I like to track my steps when I walk Probably. around Disney World. And I like, oh, Probably. I had, I had 20,000 steps on a Disney World day. That's a lot but of I steps. I think they have other like GPS stuff that they can track that with. I don't think the players need to track it on their own. 
Apple Watch technology. Are we that shocked that my fitness pal? Are we, are we that shocked that like 19 and 20 year olds are doing things that they don't absolutely need to be doing, though? No, I suppose not. Although also, let's not forget that the reason why Marvin Harrison Jr. has some of this stuff is because his dad made like. Million dollars playing in the NFL for yeah. a long time and yeah, being a, a great player. I, I would still say I think I, I still quibble with your comparison, though, Stephen. I think USC is the Lakers. It's just that right now they're like the Luke Walton era coached Lakers, and they're so not the Knicks. very good. So the Knicks, yeah, maybe. I, but I, <laughs> they're going to rise again. So this is maybe what's happening in Ohio State culturally right now is a version of what they were doing. Uh, recruiting wise going into California and stealing away from USC and, and thriving there for the period where USC is down and getting as much out of it as they can before USC inevitably rises back and takes back some of that juice. But being cool matters, right? Like how, how would we, how would we put that in context of, of how much it matters that, I mean, it's hard to be cool if you're not winning, but then does being cool along with winning produce even more winning it gets you in the door i mean think about oregon back in when i was in high school it was they were winning but then also they were the first team to really have all these cool alternate jerseys so that combination let them go on that run where they ended up with a heisman trophy winner and in the national championship for a year now of course the moment they stopped winning all those jerseys stopped mattering so much because also everybody else started doing it but yes everybody wants to win but you also want to look cool while you win which is why which is, I think, almost like the it's not the approach Ohio State takes, but it definitely is a byproduct of how they've done things for the past 20 years. Yeah, I think the, the swag can't make up for not winning. And once you're once you're not winning, then these other things look more like a distraction than an enhancement. But I, I yeah. agree that it's a it can be a, a selling point. You want to differentiate differentiate yourself. So somehow. And we've done so many discussions about the top players in the country and how Ohio State is competing against like one of like four schools. It's like Alabama, Georgia. It's like the same ones. Like, how do you separate yourself within that? Now, what what is cool changes for every player. What uh, Cade Stover thinks is cool is probably not what CJ Stroud thinks is cool. Although they think, they think each other is pretty cool. It turns out so maybe they have more in common. But you know what I'm saying? Like the guy who grew up on the farm in north central Ohio has probably a different vibe than the guy who grew up in suburban Los Angeles. But I do think that there is something to be said about just uh, having uh, a making a cultural um, having cultural touchstones. But but again, Marvin Harrison Jr. wearing an Apple watch in those shoes kind of only matters because he's Marvin Harrison Jr. and does Marvin Harrison Jr. things on the field. If Xavier Johnson had been wearing those things in the last game, no one would be taking those. I bet you they told him to change cleats. Is that what our bet is? Or do we think it's coincidental? It's a, I think you can make the argument either way because changing cleats at halftime is, or shoes at halftime is a normal athlete thing. But I would assume with that one, um, somebody out there in Beaverton made a call. And then somebody in Ohio Stadium made a call and told him to switch his cleats out. What, what do we think of the job that Ohio State does of being culturally relevant? Now, I, and I answered a question about LeBron on the Rants podcast. You know, it's, it's just quite a thing that the best basketball player of this generation is from Ohio and loves Ohio State. That's not something you can plan on, but certainly that's a good thing for Ohio State. They've always been very sort of pushing the envelope with social media and cool videos and cool pictures and that kind of thing like do we think i I think there's no doubt that it it does matter to them they think about it do we think they do a good job with it of of trying to be a place that doesn't just win but also is culturally relevant and cool while doing it i mean i think they do i but i also think again you make things culturally relevant when you win somewhat like when you're winning what you're doing becomes the culturally cool thing to be and do I think they do a good job of sprinkling that stuff in without it, without allowing it to overshadow what actually matters, as Nathan said, and that's whether you're winning football games or not. Because, I mean, Miami could do the same thing with some of the people who have come through that program, but they suck. Yeah. And it's not at that level, right? This is not like the U kind of level. That's like a, a rare place when yeah. you're that culturally relevant. You know, they're just teams that kind of break through. I don't know. 
that would be a thing. I don't think there are. I don't know. Maybe there are. Are there? Texas is Texas. Maybe uh, Texas is the whole like is Texas back. The Texas brand is bigger than what's actually happening on the field for the past twenty years. So maybe that's a a good example. What are like the college shirts or jerseys or whatever that people wear? even if they don't necessarily like the team, they just think it looks cool. Like, I don't think Ohio State's mm. that, are they? I don't think I don't there's know. any college team that's like that. If, that if you're doing good, it, yeah. you're probably customizing it. Well, now you can just buy a player's jerseys, but in the past, you're probably just getting a customized version of it for a certain player. Like, if you're getting a USC jersey, it's probably a five with a Reggie Bush on the back. Texas has probably been shown the Braxton yeah. Miller jersey. So it's not... It'll be interesting to see how that evolves now that you can just buy a certain player that does it become more about the team or is it just more that the seven is popular because it's Stroud on the back in comparison to the, the seven is popular when it's just Jordan Hancock wearing it next year. Cause that was definitely a thing for a while, like right. Eighties, nineties. I feel like, like Miami is maybe the one yeah. that jumps out as like fab five, fab five mission. Yeah, I that think that, right. Yeah. 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 And I've seen, I think you've seen it more in basketball than, football too i feel like there's more of a crossover duke places like that mm-hmm. okay I, I like talking about cool stuff I, you know i like I, i'm cool i like i like talking about what's Ooh, cool you were hey if you hey have guys. to call yourself cool you're probably not cool hey guys yeah. survey for the texters who's cool from the 616 it's madison wood I'm really glad the Buckeyes are leading for Mateo Uyunglele, but do you guys think the Buckeyes will land Keon Keeley? That would give two top five, two top defensive end prospects in one class. Also, do you think that because J.K. Johnson played so well against Wisconsin, he could potentially take Denzel Brooks' spot at cornerback? I think it could be a possibility, but what do you guys think? Let's start on the recruiting side. Keeley, are they getting him? Steven, what are the vibes lately on that? I've been... Pro OSU Keon Keeley since even before he decommitted from Notre Dame. So I, I'll continue to predict that to be the case. They feel good. They felt good before he decommitted from Notre Dame. They felt good before he showed up on September 3rd for the Notre Dame game. They felt really good when he left after the Notre Dame game. And then when it was apparent that he was going to come back up here because uh, he and his dad had a free weekend, they felt really, really good. So they 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 like where they're at. The problem is it's still Bama, and they, even they will know that. They will, I, I was talking to somebody in the program, and he'll even say this. Like, it's, it's, it's hard when you're going up against a team who's basically been a dynasty for the last decade. So, like, anything can happen. And so it's almost – you can't gauge it until after he goes to that Alabama-Texas A&M game, and then I think you'll start to see, all right, is Ohio State's chances really high here? But I, I like their chances, and I think some of it is just from a football standpoint, he actually fits Ohio State better just because he is – his build is a lot more for a four down front than it is what Bama does with the three, four outside linebacker, Will Anderson look. So that's playing to their advantage as well, but let's see. I feel good about where they're at. They feel good about where they're at. Let's see what happens coming out of that Bama Texas A&M game. But that's still the case. And the, the idea of they're in good shape with Mateo Uyunglele, DJ's brother. That's also in line. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to rank best chance, the worst chance between the three, five star, uh, edge rushers are in on i'd go keely one mateo two and then damon wilson who was here for the notre dame game i'd go three with him just because he probably fits more sec than he does maybe georgia there but yeah I, I do think ohio state's in a really good spot to basically repeat 2021 with two five-star edge rushers in the same class all right nathan second part of that again the idea that jair brown and jk johnson had no fear stepped up played well in the wisconsin game Tim Walton talked on Tuesday. I don't, I don't know. Would it, do you think it would be reasonable that those two younger guys who we would say are fourth and fifth on the depth chart would still get playing time, even as Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, and whenever he comes back, Jordan Hancock get back to health? Or do you think those three remain the top three? I think those three are still the top three. But I think that though the experience that these guys are getting right now does help the room overall. I just the fact that those guys practiced a lot, they never missed a practice in the spring or preseason per Ryan Day and other guys were. 
but they still never climbed higher than fourth and fifth on the depth chart also tells you something. And now all that time did help them get prepared for being in a a tough spot last week and kind of being put on the spot and having to go out there. But I also don't know that I watched that game and thought, boy, these guys are just tearing the roof off the place. They, They played really solid. But as much as Burke has struggled, there have also been good times. I mean, he's a good moments. He, he's got four pass breakups this year, and nobody else has more than one. It could be because more people are throwing the ball at him than other people. I understand that. But he, he's had good moments, too. I think Cam Brown is still the one that maybe has the highest floor of that group, the one that I think you would maybe expect to just be the most solid, if not spectacular. And we still don't know about Jordan Hancock, and I don't know if he's going to be able to get on a field this year the way Ryan Day talks about him it just it is not trending in a positive way but everybody you ask says well he was supposed to be a big part of the plans not just like we hoped he'd be in the mix like this guy was supposed to be on the field so those are still their three best cornerbacks I don't think it means that if they have to go to those other two guys it necessarily craters the season but it makes Ohio State more vulnerable there to teams that can do more on offense than Wisconsin can it's hard because a year ago, Denzel Burke was the true freshman who was saving them in the quarterback room and was, the, was, was one of the great stories of the season. And now it's like, oh, yeah, that guy's had a rough month. Let's start a different true freshman in his place now that Denzel Burke has experience. It's like, well, again, I, I still, even though it's Ohio State, a, a lot of the times a true freshman is not exactly the plan. Right. That Denzel Burke wasn't exactly the plan, but after the other guys didn't cut it last year and seven banks didn't play and all these things happened, they kind of had to go to him. And Denzel Burke rose to the moment. I don't like Jair Brown would not be the plan. Hey, you know, your fifth corner is a true freshman. He held up pretty well. Let's play him a bunch. I just it's not not typically how this place works. So I, Recru- I think I think I agree with that. From a recruiting standpoint, he was the first guy in the class, but this was never in the card. Like he's better than they thought he would be when he showed up, but still not to the point as Nathan was pointing out that they thought he'd be playing this year. Yeah. Cause, cause that's just not usually how it goes. All right. Quick break. When we come back, what if there's a tie in the big 10 East? What do we do next on Buckeye talk? All right. People love tiebreaker talk from the five, one, three, just for the sake of asking and knowing what if Penn state knocks up Ohio state, Michigan beats Penn State, and then we get our revenge against Michigan. Three one-loss te- one teams that just beat each other. How does that shake out for the Big Ten Championship and the playoff picture? So I did dive into the uh, tie-breaking procedures that are available from the Big Ten. And, and Nathan, did you look at those as well? You're nodding. Yeah. Does it seem like it would come down to the collection of West teams that they play and which group of three West teams has the best winning percentage. So all of a sudden you would start rooting for the teams in the West that those teams play, which for Ohio state this year, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Northwestern. Right. Which is kind of two pretty good options and one pretty bad one. (laughs) So I didn't look yet at it. Did you look at who Penn state and Michigan played? Okay. So Michigan plays Iowa this week, Nebraska and Illinois and Penn state already played Purdue and they also play Northwestern and they play Minnesota. So like looking at that, you know, both, both teams play like a terrible team because two play Northwestern and and one plays Nebraska. Um, It depends. Michigan probably has the, the worst shot there because I guess the best unless but I think Illinois might be good like we we can't figure it out right now you can't you can't try to guess it would feel like well Iowa and Wisconsin for Ohio State that's not a bad place to be even though Northwestern is terrible versus Penn State Minnesota and Purdue I, I don't know but man that'd be weird and again this is like the fifth tiebreaker because you're talking about a world where they're all 11 and one and there's just nothing. There's just nothing else. Everything else is equal. And there's lots of other things that they would do. There's things they do within the East that you know. If if somehow you're tied at ten and two because you all beat each other once, but then you all have another loss, then it you would get to probably one of the tiebreakers above this. But that's what it is, and it's kind of goofy. But I don't know. I guess there's no. And again, this is just this is to determine who would go to the Big Ten championship game. So, like, that's obviously why it matters. It doesn't matter for, like, a trophy or a banner. 
in your building. It's like who gets to go to Indy and then who gets to go to Indy has some effect on who makes the college football playoff. So I don't know. I, I, let me let me tie this into uh, another question here, and we can talk say, about this. Go ahead. I just want to say real quick to to make sure that we specify this. It's the basically example that they give. It would be the just the Big Ten records of those Big Ten West teams. It would not. So, for instance, okay. Illinois Illinois wins against Wyoming, Virginia, and Chattanooga don't matter, and okay. also Wisconsin's loss to. Washington State wouldn't be a detriment towards what Ohio State. Based on the example that they gave, they were giving only 27 game win loss totals. Yep. Or three teams. So I believe it would be only the Big Ten records of those teams. So, like, I guess in the end, it's like, well, if you think there's any chance of that happening, if you're an Ohio State fan, root for Wisconsin and Iowa Northwestern in every game they play, other than the one against the Buckeyes. From the 989, um, are there really any games between now and November 26th to worry about? After Wisconsin, this squad looks like a death machine out to destroy worlds. Again, that's from the 989. Stephen, I guess the thing is like this scenario, right, that this person's drawing up where they kind mm-hmm. of all wind up beating each other. Is it like worth thinking about or does it feel impossible? Or I guess the question is Penn State would have to rise up you know, or be in the mix kind of at the level of Ohio State and Michigan that yeah. they're all going one and one against each other. And in this particular scenario, this person had Ohio State losing to Penn State but beating Michigan. It certainly could go the opposite way. Um, does that feel like, well, I don't know, it's full steam ahead for Ohio State until the Michigan game, or or is Penn State worth thinking about? Yeah, I don't know if we're quite there yet, like where we were in Nebraska in 2019 where we all walked out like, well – the team's going 12 and LC in the playoff. It's going to get real boring. I don't know if we're quite there yet because we're still not sure about this quarterback situation. I think we're there with the offense at this point. So the Penn State game might be competitive. It might be interesting. And so I, I don't want to go that far yet where it's like Ohio State's definitely going 12 and 0. This is nothing yet. I still do think that Penn State game is interesting just because uh, defensively, they do have some guys who might be able to cover some of these corners. And then also, I mean, Penn State always has something for Ohio State. Those games have not typically been blowouts. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the best Penn State team, Ohio State, based on what we've seen from four games in. Probably the best Penn State team they've played since at least 2019. And that was a tough competitive game in Ohio Stadium. They're like seventh, I think, right now in the Football Outsiders F-plus ratings if you're going just by metrics. And I think that's probably with some of last year's data still baked in. Uh, you know, They've played a couple of power five road games early on. I know it was only, only Purdue and Auburn, but that's, that's not, uh, you know, the bottom of power five that you're beating on the road and their defensive numbers are better than Ohio state's relative to the schedule that they've played. So there's something happening with Penn state. I wouldn't dismiss Penn state. No, I think, you know, a couple interesting scale guys on offense, uh, a defense that you can rely on that does include some guys in the secondary. Joey Porter jr. Has not really given up much, uh, at corner so far this year. He also hasn't tried to defend sing- Marvin Harrison Jr. There was a stat that said he had in like 112 man coverage to, uh, snaps. He hasn't given up a touchdown yet, which is pretty yeah. impressive. So, I mean, it's it really is more you've got you've to find a team that you think has a chance to slow down Ohio State to some degree offensively. That you, And again, it's not, it's not about the defensive statistical ratings because Iowa has a great statistical rating but are, are they really going to be able to do it wisconsin had a great statistical rating and they didn't really have any chance to slow down ohio state so i i do think penn state is good enough that it's not we're not at full steam ahead to michigan and i, I think you could make a case especially since that game's at penn state that 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 actually might be the toughest game left right now i mean it just mm-hmm. i mean the, the sean the limitations everybody knows what sean clifford is so the limitations of that quarterback play certainly calls it into question. But I do think the offensive line and the, and the running backs are significantly improved from a year ago, which is really what, beyond the quarterback injuries, what kept Ohio State from, or excuse me, Penn State from competing last year. So just kind of like keep your eye on, on Penn State a little bit. Uh, this is kind of a big picture looking at other teams from the 980. Our rooting guide should be two total undefeated teams from the ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12. So those three conferences, they want two undefeated teams combined from those three. That would likely eliminate a second SEC school in a playoff. 
then we would have a favorable matchup in a semifinal with Clemson or USC um, or whomever, assuming that probably the SEC champ is number one, then Ohio State would number two be number two. And then you're kind of running out of Big 12 teams that could be undefeated because Baylor's lost and Oklahoma lost. Oklahoma State still could be, and they're, they're pretty good. Uh, they play Baylor this week. So that idea, Nathan, that, that that's what Ohio State fans should be rooting for, root for Clemson, root for either, I guess, so Clemson plays NC State this week. The winner of that becomes the favorite in the ACC. Root for the winner of that game to be undefeated. Root for either USC or Washington to be undefeated and get through so that a one-loss SEC championship game loser doesn't get in. Is it, is it worth even, I don't know, should, should Ohio State fans want to keep a second SEC team out of the playoff that badly? I guess it depends on how good you think. When I, I guess we're all assuming right now it would be Alabama maybe being the the second SEC team that doesn't get in. How good you think that team is? I mean, I think if you're going to play that sort of game, I think the first thing you root for is that uh, Tennessee and or Kentucky are as good or better than we think they might be right now, and they somehow beat Georgia, and that so mm-hmm. that Georgia isn't getting to the Big Ten or Big the, the SEC championship game undefeated or possibly even going at all, depending on what the, the wrinkle is there. Um, that's something that I think you would root for more than that. Like somehow have someone else come in and take out the team that actually is probably deserving of going uh, because we've seen that happen to Ohio State before. Years where they, if they were to get in the playoff, they would have been able to make noise, but something tripped them up along the way. And uh, Georgia plays Tennessee at home and it has to play at Kentucky. Both of those teams are getting voted by myself and other people into like the AP top 10 right now. And if that's legit, and one of them can beat Georgia, even though they're not necessarily better than Georgia. Maybe it's the one or two times out of 10 that they would beat Georgia, but it, it, it fractures the season a little bit and maybe gets you a scenario where Georgia isn't going to the playoff at all. That game being in Athens makes it a little tougher, but I think Ohio State fans, their second favorite quarterback should be Hendon Hooker right now. Because Tennessee plays both. Tennessee yes. plays Georgia and Alabama. So if Tennessee can upset the apple cart and knock off one of those, it complicates things. And, and I do think, I don't know how much Bama should be feared at the moment, just because they, almost everybody has looked vulnerable, but they don't They're the Bryce Young like show offensively right now. Yeah, yeah. And that's only going to win you so many games, especially in that conference. When, I mean, we just brought up Hendon Hooker. We're talking about a potential Georgia SEC championship game. I don't know how many weeks. But we talk about quarterbacks, second-year quarterbacks being able to save your team, but you can only ask them to do that so many weeks in a row before eventually they're going to put the cape on and it doesn't walk out the door with them. I mean, like, you know, Saban, Saban, but but this doesn't yeah. feel like the best of Bama, right? I mean, we, I think – the idea that 2020 was almost like peak Bama and that's the team that Ohio state played in a weird year. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know what anybody was supposed to do with that team. Bama does have this stretch coming up starting on Saturday. I thought they had a stretch last year where they did wind up losing finally to Texas A&M where you could kind of see it. Like as much as sometimes people feel like there's sec bias. Oh my God. Everybody thinks the SEC that you can hit a stretch in the sec where it's like, man, those are like three slobber knockers in a row. I don't know if that's going to be easy. They have Arkansas, at Arkansas on Saturday, then the Jimbo Saban showdown versus Texas A&M primetime on October 8th, then at Tennessee on October 15th. I don't know if they're going to win all three of those games. So I, and I do like when in doubt, is this a fair, when in doubt, knock out Bama. Is that fair? Like leave them out and then take your shots with everybody else. Not that Ohio state, Nathan would have to fear Bama. Right. But I don't if you can do it, but, go ahead and do it. Yeah. But no, I think the I think you're getting to something there because at the end of the day, do you fear a would you rather play a two loss Alabama or whatever team wins the Pac twelve? Like, do you think Alabama is actually still the better team? And I guess that's the premise of the question, right? So I, I think you're I think they're getting to something there. It's it's sort of the flip side of what I was saying before. Get Alabama knocked out of the SEC championship game. Georgia's going to go to the playoff anyway. Let them just go 13-0 and and beat up on someone else in the SEC championship game, but take out that team that could be the, the sneaky team that you don't want to play in a semifinal. 
And the one thing is the idea of the SEC double dip. Again, you have a, a bit of a break in between whatever it is, 10 or 11 days between the semifinal and the championship game. Yeah, but if, if two SEC teams are in, Ohio State has to beat both to win the national championship because mm-hmm. they're not going to be playing each other. So that is just a weird spot. And again, both Clemson and USC and Shahan J. Haraja and I, we hope you guys listen to the Survivor Show, covered this on the Wednesday College Football Survivor Show pod. They both look vulnerable. Last weekend, Clemson went to double OT against Wake Forest. They had a bunch of young defensive backs that they had to play because guys were hurt. And they actually faced a quarterback in Wake Forest, Sam Hartman, who could take advantage of that, unlike Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. And USC only scored 17 at Oregon State and had to score and drive in the final five minutes to win that game. And it's like Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, and Jordan Addison only scored 17 at Oregon State. They had a lot of empty possessions early on. So I, I think if you're the, the idea of like, well, don't know, even if you think Dabo is a weasel. And maybe you think Lincoln Riley, I don't like that guy because he keeps getting compared to Ryan Day. And some people think Lincoln Riley is better than Ryan Day. Maybe root for them, Stephen, right? But maybe like yeah. suck it up and root for Lincoln Riley and Dabo Sweeney. We're getting back around to like, this is clearly what the tech, what the texter stated in the premise. Root for those teams so you don't get two SEC teams. It's just, it's just not, it's just smart thinking, I think. It's just yes. smart thinking. It's just take the easier road. And what yeah. you don't want is a ticked off Nick Saban in a playoff game. And, and it's not like it would delegitimize. Well, well Ohio State no, didn't play two no, SEC a, teams. It's like, well, you got the SEC champion there still. So it's all good. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that I don't know. Do you, th- Nathan, do you think people like doing this or like, do you just sit back and watch crazy things? I mean, that Clemson Wake Forest game was awesome on Saturday, right? To add, hey, Ohio State fans, make sure you're rooting for Clemson because you actually think Clemson's not that good and Ohio State could beat them. So you want them to be 13 and 0 so they get in so they could be Ohio State's semifinal opponent instead of Georgia. So root for Clemson in that Wake Forest game. Or do you just say, wow, that was a great college football game. I don't know if people like rooting guys or not. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to depend person to person. I would just remind people that we are only four games in and I think at this time last year, well, Ohio State had its own issues last year, but people might have been rooting if they thought their team was playoff worthy, been like, oh, boy, I hope we get in and get match up with Georgia because, you know, I mean, they're pretty good defensively, but what do they really have on offense? And they got this walk on playing quarterback and blah, blah, blah. And we saw how it ended. So uh, we're still I th- we're still in the process of judging who actually is truly legitimate right now. We think Georgia and Ohio State are probably pretty secure right now. And Alabama, I know they've teetered, but they also as we talked about before, maybe they dodged their one bullet. Like they had the game they were supposed to lose and it didn't happen. And now maybe that they, they find a second wind, third wind, whatever it is. You want to, you want to knock Bama down when you have a chance. Texas, Texas did not, but you can also see the vulnerabilities. They, they actually, I mean, like, again, they're, they're patching stuff in the transfer portal. You know, their defense is good. I don't know that it's been spectacular so far. So, I mean, it's, you, you can see that it, again, it's not the best of Bama. I don't think. I, I don't remember if both of you picked Will Anderson to win the Heisman or not, but I think that's dead. We did. Oh, yeah. I think it's I dead think too. Yeah. Like it, 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 we have a question about that. Like it's, it's yeah. I mean, it needed to go a certain way early on. And like he had a lot to, of, in the end, he had a lot of preseason buzz at the moment yeah. where four games in he is not. It's not like a quarterback. Like Stroud didn't come out the gate hot either, but he's a quarterback. And so he's quickly picked that up. You can't do that defensively. Yeah, he needed he needed four sacks week one and then another like three against Texas. And that didn't right. happen. Has not happened from the six one four. This is Carl in Dublin. I love to see all the Ohioans hey. doing well. Just a few years ago, almost no Ohioans were important players, impact players. Herbie commented on the lack of Ohio starters at the time. Now you have Cade Stover, Tommy Eichenberg, Mayan Williams, Paris Johnson, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, Zach Harrison, and upcoming C.J. Hicks and Sonny Styles. When you look at iconic players in Ohio State history, Ohioans are high on the list. And um, we need excellent Ohio players to have an excellent Ohio State team. That's a pretty good list, Stephen, of Ohio players. And certainly, you know... You go back and you go Troy Smith and Ted Ginn Jr. and A.J. Hawk and Barbie Carpenter and Nick Mangold and Dante Whitner. And, you know, when I start on the beat in the Trestle area, you know, Craig Krenzel and Maurice Claret. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's this this Trestle was really an Ohio led team. They, they certainly, you know, we ran through the 2014 national championship team, Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Von Bell. And, you, you know, you can 
run through uh, a lot of top players without naming many Ohio guys. That list that Carl brought up, that's that's pretty good, man. Like this is a this is pretty good Ohio talent on this team. There's been an uptick in talent in Ohio in general. And I think Day and, and Mark Pantoni have done a pretty good job these last couple of cycles, you know, taking advantage of that, especially that 2021 class where I think it was like five or six guys in the top 151 nationally. And a lot of those guys are now making impacts on the field, especially the top 100 guys like Jack and Mike. Uh, and Jaden Ballard even has made an impact at times this year. There has been a – they said there was a conscious effort to – kind of mix the Trestle and Urban Meyer philosophies together in the sense of we're still going to go get JTs and the Travion Hendersons of the world and the Brandon Innocence because you can't win without, you know, the national talent. But if you're a top 150 kid in Ohio, you have to stay home. We can't let you, we can't have any more Jackson Carmen situations. And we're seeing why now, because those guys are starting to pan out on the field. And if you like this, wait till this 2024 class rolls around in the entire secondary for that recruiting class might be from Ohio and it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think this is legitimate, you know, that again, to look and say, Chris Spielman and Archie Griffin and Myers and like, you know, that is true, right? That is undoubtedly true, but also, you know, times have changed a little bit. So, um, but it, it does, it does make it fun. I mean, it, it, it does, it's kind of a little thing where maybe you happen to catch a kid in high school. He didn't even mm-hmm. maybe, you know, not that he played at your high school necessarily, but he might've played against your high school. You might've caught him in the high school playoffs, you know, and then you went on and got to see him play at Ohio state. It, it doesn't mean that people don't appreciate Jackson Smith and Jigba and Trevor Henderson and Marvin Harrison jr. But it's a, it's a nice little thing. And I, think it's important. And I, and I think it's just a, it's a good thing to point out. And it is, you know, I think we had another question I didn't grab, like Kate Stover was a top 125 national recruit. Like Kate Stover mm-hmm. was supremely talented. Everybody would have taken Kate Stover, but you know, you look at like Mayan Williams and Tommy Eichenberg and like that's Nathan, that's like a nice, you know, yeah. those are good, solid Ohio kids that have worked their butts off and developed into really important players for Ohio state without being top 100 national recruits. Yeah, I was going to make that point that this list that the texter gave, like Paris Johnson, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, Zach Harrison, CJ Hicks, Sonny Styles, like they go in like one category. Kate Stover's kind of on the border, but really I would almost put him more in with Tommy Eckenberg and Mayan Williams in so much as those are guys who, depending on the cycle, could probably just easily be at Cincinnati or the, you know, Penn Kentucky. State or, yep. yeah, someplace yeah. like that, Tennessee or Michigan even like they could be somewhere else pretty easily because they're in that sort of twin. Well, mine Williams was at Ohio state or Iowa state before Ohio state kind of called him back. So it's, it's could end up being that like right now, those three guys, like the development of them to being more than was expected of them is as critical as anything that's happening on the field for this team right now. I think that needs to be the heart of the teams, even if it's not like the base level talent, it's like, all these superior talented guys, but then also these guys who are in the three hundreds who are also from your state. That's like Tommy Eichenberg and Maya Williams are best case scenario. Now you can't take nine of those guys every year because that's what they did with the 2020 offensive line recruiting. And only one of them is hit. And he wasn't even a guy from Ohio. He's from Indiana. So, but if you get, if you take three or four of those guys every couple cycles and they turn into this, that means that philosophy is working. Nope, 100% absolutely agree. They are they are absolutely the examples of why I, I, there's like a core of your program that I do think you can't ignore guys like that. And so it's fun when it happens and it's a credit to Eichenberg and Williams and Stover and the way they developed. And it's good that Ohio State went and got them. All right. This is kind of a, one of the questions that we get sometimes about covering stuff. Uh, that I think is interesting sometimes to talk about from the eight, five, nine, would you have any reservations about joining the Michigan beat after covering Ohio state for so many years? Do you think that you have any of the disdain for Michigan that the fans at Ohio state do? So I gave Greg Madison a hard time for leaving Michigan and coming to Ohio state and be like, what's so now what you in Michigan for 12 years. And now it's just like, I show up at Ohio state and it's all cool. When all Ohio state does is say, you're supposed to hate Michigan. Like what's up with that? But we're not Greg Madison, Nathan. So what would it be like if you got a high-paying job covering the Michigan Wolverines? I'll 
take a high paying job covering anybody. Uh, not that I'm getting <laughs> right. the shaft where I am. Um, yeah, for us, I think it's just, it, you, you get to a stage of your life where it's as much about like quality of life and on the, on the journalism side of things though, like how much of a headache is covering that program and is it worth it? Yep. And I think Michigan might be more of a headache than I would feel like is worth it at this stage of my life. I'd have to research it more, but I actually talked to some outlets about covering Michigan earlier back in the day. And um, it, the, the impression that I got from them was that just the Harbaugh regime was kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah. It has definitely nothing to do with the rivalry and everything to do with having to do my job and not being able to do it at the level that, Shout out to Jerry Emig and Mike Bassford. Mm. Mm. Shout out to well, them. Like, listen, there are good reporters who do a good job covering. Yeah, this yeah, I'm, I don't yeah think it's, it's impossible. It's just um, the. It's just. It's like it's like hurdles in place. Yeah, it's like Maryland and Rutgers scoring on Ohio State. You can do it, and maybe sometimes you'll score twenty eight points, but we know what the actual outcome is going to be. Yeah. No, and that's like Harbaugh focus. It's just Harbaugh yeah. makes makes things difficult, you know, if and when he ever leaves, and then who knows what the next guy would be like. Because um, it is funny, like, Nathan, I'm sure, I bet after, especially after Purdue beat Ohio State in 2018, I bet you could have gotten a question from Purdue fans along the lines of, Nathan, could you ever imagine covering those arrogant SOBs at Ohio State how much, how difficult would that be? How much better is it to cover these lovable underdog boilermakers who, as opposed to those, that NFL factory in Columbus, where all anybody cares about is winning football games. Don't like, when did it, it wouldn't have been impossible for you to get a question like that, right? Well, no, I think actually fans there would probably not be surprised at all that you leave and take a job in a bigger market, covering a bigger team that goes to the championship, national championship game, ever like like i think they ever. would understand that whereas with ohio state to michigan you're taking uh, last year set aside overall you're taking a, a competitive step down yeah i mean the, the, ann arbor's ann arbor's a good town well and the thing is that the life. thing that makes i mean we work at cleveland.com cleveland is a big city and columbus mm-hmm. is a big city and the yeah. columbus dispatch and cleveland.com are two of the i think bigger outlets fully dedicated to college football coverage in the country. Now, of course, like the LA times covers USC, but at USC, that's like the eighth beat, right? I mean, and that's no offense to the people who cover USC. It's a great job, but you know, there's a lot of jobs where like the, the, to work for an outlet in Greenville, you cover Clemson, but that's a small outlet that like probably doesn't pay as well. Right. And isn't as, doesn't make as big of an impact. It doesn't mean that, that the team's not good. So the combination of, program at a high level that plays games that matter, which kind of just makes your job more interesting. You can't control how good the team is that you cover. You can't wrap your career up in that, but it kind of just makes it more fun because we get to talk about the national scene. And if you're at a team try just trying to go six and six and make a bowl, you don't get to talk about Alabama and Clemson and USC because who cares, but also the combination of high profile program, but also like big city outlets covering a college football team that is, I think that Nathan is a little bit of a rare um, duo yep. that we are fortunate to be part of. Yeah, and that's why I said, like, this was not just a good, I mean, again, I was the one who made a jump from another job to this one the most recently. And like, for me, it wasn't just a chance to move up to a bigger outlet um, and things like that. It was also the chance to live in Columbus, which made a lot of sense for the family that we're putting together here. So all, yeah, it was the, it was the whole package really together and meanwhile and, i started in the big leagues i mean it is i mean you you jumped ahead of the line man i mean because yeah. I, I and i have had i've certainly had conversations Stephen, with young journalists who are maybe interested in, in a job but just like no offense like don't really want to move to lansing michigan or don't yeah. really want to move to um i don't know like Washington, yeah, I mean, but like, you know what I mean, Stephen? Like, would, would you yeah. factor that into it would be an interesting beat, but I just don't know if I want to live in a like smaller college town. Yeah, I've had this conversation with people. This is not 25 years ago where you just like 
okay, here's how you progress and you just kind of live with it. You can't do that. You do have to be a little bit more picky with where you choose to go because a lot of times you're setting up your next step and you can't afford to be stuck in some small town for seven years, you know, not making a lot of money as a journalist covering a team that not many people care about because then it makes it hard to move up. So, yeah, it's, it's, there is a step of, yeah, I may have cut the line a little bit, but you kind of have to with people my age trying to get into this, <clears throat> excuse me, into this industry. Now you've got to find the best way to skip a couple of steps if you need to, to set the rest of your career up. Uh, all right. Let's do one more before we take a break. This is kind of like a out of left field one, but that means we'd like it. It's our guy, Josh Mustachio from the 614. I had a semi-market down for the three of you. Which game next year do you think Ohio State will play on the Peacock Network, the Peacock-only game, the NBC streaming service? If I was to bet, I would guess the first game of the year against Youngstown State. It reminds me of when ESPNU put on the Ohio State-Indiana game when they started that network. Um, There's a lot of that, like, again, Nathan, I can remember covering the beginning of the Big Ten network, and there was, like, a lot of consternation over that. Uh, I'm assuming Ohio State will have that streaming game on Peacock. I, I guess that Youngstown State game makes sense. I just don't know how it's all going to work with the pecking order of even would Peacock be like, well, no, we don't want Youngstown State. We want Ohio State, Maryland. You know what I mean? I, I'll, I'm going to be super curious how all that stuff works out because I just kind of like the process. Again, we talk about a lot. Fox has the first pick. Fox picks Ohio State, Michigan. ESPN's had the second pick. That's how they got Ohio State, Notre Dame. I think we kind of understand the pecking order a little bit. With the current TV setup, I don't exactly understand how it's going to work next year, but it certainly affects everybody listening who watches Ohio State on TV. So it's really going to matter. Do you have a peacock view on this? And it's tricky, too, because, like, do you want it to be the Youngstown State game? Because that's the season opener. If you're someone who thinks, well, I'm just going to have to miss a game because I don't want to go get peacock, then I don't know if you want to miss the season opener. Uh, So, But it probably most likely either that that game or the Western Kentucky game right now. We don't know actually the big 10 schedule for 2023. It has not been released yet. My, my buddy, um, Mike Carmen from Lafayette journal and career actually did some reporting on it this week. And there was a meeting on Monday that the, the ADs were supposed to be convening to learn more about the schedule of uh, that is supposed to be released before the end of October. So I think logistically they're a little bit behind. They like to like start setting things up from just a travel standpoint before now, but I think they've also been trying to figure out some things with the divisions, whether they're going to jump now and get rid of divisions, whether it's going to be down the line. So um, I'm trying to find out some more about that this week. But without knowing what the rest of this, I mean, we know which we know. Well, we don't know because of what I just said. So right now you're assuming that they would be playing just those East schedule. Right. So maybe then you would throw Ohio State, Indiana, Ohio State Rutgers could go on Peacock. But uh, without knowing whether for sure whether they're going to play those teams anymore. It's a, it's a bit of an incomplete question. I think if NBC was smart, they would put that Ohio State Notre Dame game on on Peacock to get a uh, uptick in you know subscribers. Oh no, people would have a people would revolt. They would. They would definitely they revolt. Would, they would. They would they also would sign up for Peacock. Down. No, I don't even think Notre Dame would let them do that. I mean, Notre Dame played that, but and they get they're going to get such a huge number. NBC wouldn't do it, and, and, and as much as they yeah. want to do Peacock, they want the huge number, and NBC is going to yeah. get a huge number off Ohio State Notre I, Dame next year. Especially after we saw the number, what what it was this year. What was it like, ten point five million? Like they're going to want. Every I imagine piece of that, more. that Notre Dame has some contract language that gives them some influence over which games go on Peacock. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, I, we, we have to get a sense for it, though. Like the thing is. It, like in the Big Ten so far, they have not used it feels like a miss unless I'm forgetting an example. They don't they don't use the best games to like hold viewers hostage and make them do something they don't want to do. Right. They haven't put Ohio State not Michigan on, on FS1. Right. That they that it's like, OK, so. I don't know. You get such a huge number on the over the air network. I don't know what the balance is of that, but we're all going to have to get more accustomed to streaming services, man. It's just people, you would create a lot of ill will. It's just a matter of when would you decide that the ill will is worth it because this is the new era and that's how you do it. Like people were, you know, like they did some of that stuff, I think with the Olympics and they put some stuff on there and it's like that. 
I think Even that's people like, mad. So I, I can't imagine a great game going on Peacock yet. Not yet. But yeah, you're right, Stephen. Maybe that day is coming. I don't think coming. we're far off. I don't think we're that far off from a major sporting event just being on a streaming service. And it's like that year you take the L of having the big number because in exchange for that big number, you get a bunch of subscribers, even if it's people who subscribed for a month. But how do subscriptions work? People sign up for the free month and then like you forget you're subscribed to it. And now you're paying $10 a month. Hey, every hey, month hey, for it. hey, don't give the tech subscriber secret. We don't do podcast. that. We don't do that. What do you think the two week free trial is? If I, no, wait, if I, did I just don't give do that, that away, did I give that if away? I if I could just yell stop at my TV and it would cancel Peacock, it would be the same thing. Exactly. But it doesn't work yeah. that way. Yeah, That's we're true. honest we with, our, with our textures. Exactly. Yeah. But you, I, I'm not eventually a big game, whether it's basketball, football, golf, something's going yeah. to be legitimately only on a streaming service. So as crazy as it sounds to say, I think NBC wouldn't be crazy to do that. I don't think NBC would be crazy enough, crazy to do that because it's not yeah. week one. It's what week two or three. So yeah, you've had a couple great. of you've had a couple of games under your belt and the storyline behind it's already written. At least somebody in that room has brought it up, even if it got shot down immediately. It's it's an interesting conversation of how uh, and I think we could probably get some TV people to talk about that balance with us. Right. It's just uh, to be inside the minds of like what you're trying to do here, because, again, CBS is going to be part of it next year. Fox and the Big Ten Network are used to doing this with the Big Ten, but we don't know how CBS is going to work. We don't know how NBC is going to work. We don't know how NBC is going to work with Peacock. So we're all going to be learning that TV system, and it is going to affect uh, what happens and how you guys watch it. All right. I have a couple more pulled, and we're just not going to get to all of them. We're going to take the last break, and we're going to do one more thing when we come back. We're going to reset the Heisman race because I don't know if I have the wrong view of it. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from the 937. I am a CJ Stroud supporter, and I think he is very talented. There doesn't seem to be anyone who is worthy of the Heisman so far, including CJ, and I wish I felt differently. He just isn't crisp at all times, and he lets the ball sail on him. At this point, who do you guys think are the top three guys who have a real shot at the Heisman? So let me read something. That listen, I, I know this is a guy. I I have always thought this guy does a good job. I know over the years sometimes he's not uh, the favorite of Ohio State fans, but Pat Forty is at si.com now, and he does his forty yard dash, which I wish my last name was catchier, uh, so I could have a thing um, where I named my it after name. My, name. my last name is pretty catchy. I know you. You really should have something about um, yeah the Stephen means I mean, business, like where you're like just yeah. telling everybody what's really what's really up. He did something this week, the Heisman race through September. And he has Hendon Hooker, Tennessee quarterback. And then he has Hooker's top pursuers more or less in order. CJ Stroud, Michael Penix at Washington, Jalen Daniels, the Kansas quarterback, Caleb Williams at USC, Bryce Young, Stetson Bennett, Brock Bowers, the Georgia tight end, Mo Ibrahim at Minnesota, Spencer Sanders, the Oklahoma State quarterback. Nathan. I think I've been operating under the assumption. I think it's because the odds say it. I kind of thought CJ was the front runner right now to read that. I'm not disputing Pat 40 because he only covers national college football. He's not on a team beat, but it just surprised me that, that someone would say Hendon Hookins, hookers, the leader. I assumed it was CJ. Where has your head been with the Heisman race? I've assumed it was CJ too, especially considering what he's doing without Jackson Smith and Jigba, that the guy who we thought was sort of in tandem was going to put this offense into the stratosphere. Instead, that guy has barely played at all, has four catches through four games, two games he hasn't even played, and Stroud is still lighting it up. Uh, and, uh, and, is, and is not just like, they're not just like squeaking these games. Like they are now starting to just blow people off the field. If Stroud wasn't your front runner two weeks in, I don't know how he isn't your front runner after four games. Hooker's been good. I think Hooker is in the conversation of other guys. If I had three votes right now, he'd be one of four guys that I would probably consider voting for. Um, but to say that he's in front of Stroud right now, um, unless unless he's just projecting 
and and is someone who doesn't believe in Ohio State and thinks there's going to be a loss along the way, and he has more faith in in Hooker long term and and what Tennessee's going to accomplish this year, I suppose. But man, I I I I I think we do a pretty good job of being clear eyed here and not like biased towards Ohio State for the sake of it. And neither one of us picked C.J. Stroud to win the Heisman for the year, Doug. But like, I don't know how he's not the front runner right now. What do you think, Stephen? I picked him to win the Heisman. I think he's a leader. And the, one of the reasons why is he's the only guy that has everything that goes into the award at this point, whether it's the stats, the actual play on the field when you just look at the eye test, but then also the juice that's needed with it. Hendon Hooker only has eight touchdown passes, and Tennessee hasn't really played anybody. So well, I think he better – No, I, I don't think that's true. They're, okay, they hold have, on. Let me – Over Florida and Pitt. Over Florida and Pitt. His juice – his act, but his real Heisman juice is coming over these next couple of weeks here with Bama, Georgia. He's got that showdown with Will Levis in Kentucky. That's more what I was getting. CJ's got the built-in thing of like, no, CJ hasn't played the best competition in the world, but he also doesn't have Jack Smith and Jigba to even that out. Hendon Hooker's juice is coming. So I think a better way for me, at least the way I've been looking at it is CJ Stroud's the leader. It's not really close, but the guy to watch on right now is Hendon Hooker. If he continues what he's doing while off. So if he pulls like a Johnny Manziel and, you know, goes yeah. into Bama and beats Bama yeah. or beats Georgia, if he has one of those moments then it's like, all right, CJ, give us a Heisman moment. Cause this guy's got one. But I still think the most likely outcome, more likely outcome is like he plays really well and people are impressed and they lose to Georgia the same week that, CJ Stroud throws like seven touchdown passes against somebody not good. Indiana, Rutgers, Michigan State, whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? I think there's there, like the 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 crazy moments still potentially uh lean on Stroud. And um I I I, I hear what you're saying though. And there there I will say that our our opinion of how impressive it was going to be to run this schedule for Ohio State has changed a little bit too. Yeah. Well, I think it's changed maybe in the overall quality of the teams in terms of what it means for Ohio State, like from a seeding perspective or whatever. But again, and maybe just statistically, again, Wisconsin had the number two statistical defense in the country before last week, and CJ did kind of whatever he wanted to do. Certainly the whole Ohio State offense did. And and I, yes, of course, is Wisconsin as good as Georgia and Alabama and Clemson and, and Baylor defensively? Probably not, but stats are stats. They're going to do it again. They're going to have a chance against Iowa, right? Iowa's going to be very good statistically defensively. Penn State's going to be very good statistically defensively. Wisconsin, excuse me, Michigan's going to be good statistically defensively. It's just, there's certainly, there's the case of when you elevate your program. Now, Hendon Hooker has elevated Tennessee because Tennessee's been in the, uh, in the trash for a decade. So that is very compelling. But also what is very compelling is being excellent for a superpower, which is what CJ is. So I just, I don't know... But I do think he's helped by last year. He had two NFL receivers who were getting ready to go to the league. And you could say, well, is it him or is it the receivers? Now he's without his best receiver and he has six touch, 16 touchdown passes, one interception. He's throwing for 300 a game. I just, I, I don't, Stephen, is this some indication? Because was CJ at his 100% sharpest against Wisconsin? No. But he There's certainly was he certainly was good. He was good yeah. statistically, but he was also good eyeballs. Like it's not like you'd be like, oh, I missed that one to Stover in the end zone. Or he would have had six touchdowns. It's not that. Right? He was good. So I just I don't know if there's some lingering. Is there any lingering doubt nationally about how good CJ Stroud is? No, I think CJ is fighting his own standard. And when you've seen what he is when he's on, his so if his on is a twelve, and the st- and his off is an eight, then everybody like freaks out when he's an eight, but not realizing that everybody else's on is actually an eight. So that's what happened. Especially he got a little against Wisconsin, especially in that second half. He threw a couple of balls in there where it was clearly like, "Hey, look what I can do with this ball." When it's like CJ, you got, he got a little risky. Let's just be honest here, but. When you throw five touchdown passes, it's almost like how do you get, judge that? He he's almost the epitome of what Ohio State is. Sometimes when you're so good, if you're any slight off of that, people start picking you apart. While with Hendon Hooker, he is outplaying expectations, so it's easier to get a little bit more excited about him. It's just we're like 
And, and I know, I mean, Caleb Williams in the list. Caleb Williams against Oregon State was 16 of 36 for 180. CJ does not one have touchdown a game like that at all. And didn't really run it nine times for 27 yards, 44% completion percentage. Like I said, and it's been a little, we talked about this on the Survivor Show. My read just following some USC media is that the view of USC's 17-14 win at Oregon State is that it was like a gutsy comeback. And Nathan, I said if Ohio State had to score a touchdown in the final five minutes to win 17-14 at Minnesota, I don't think we'd be talking about a gutsy comeback. We'd be saying, like, what is happening? And I understand that the Clay Helton, Helton era lowered the threshold, lowered the standard at USC, but this is still Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison. Like 17-14 at Oregon State is gutsy. I'm a little, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I don't know if like somehow the varying standards would somehow end up like working against CJ while working for someone like Caleb Williams or Hendon Hooker, just because Ohio State is viewed as being a better program with better talent right now. I don't, I don't know. Maybe now I'm overthinking it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Ohio State gets credit for rallying to beat Notre Dame in week one and how gutsy of a win that was too. And Stroud was like nine of 10 down the stretch and helped that happen. So I, I don't know the, the, we're going to get farther and farther away though, from again, right now, each of these four games seems like a huge thing in everybody's Heisman case and that their importance of each game is going to start to lessen, especially considering some of these games were against opponents that nobody really is going to factor in when they're deciding whether or not you're deserving of the Heisman trophy. It's going to start being just power five conference um, opponents every week. And that's, what's going to decide this. Yeah. Hooker has to beat one of the two. He has to beat either Bama or Georgia, or it's not going to happen for him. If he does beat it, I think Steven, this is kind of what you were saying. CJ's I, just probably going to do what he's going to do. And can somebody pass him? Yep. Can somebody explode? Can somebody come from out of nowhere and lead a team that nobody expected? Can somebody have some crazy highlights? You know, it's like one of those things, you know, when Blake Corum drops five rushing touchdowns on you, right? And maybe uh, they're working in a new quarterback, but Blake Corum, you know, sets the Big Ten record, like that kind of thing. Like that, I don't think that's happening now, but it's that CJ's going to be CJ. And that the thing about it, Stephen, is, it's going to be an outstanding statistical case. As we've sort of talked about before, maybe CJ's game doesn't lend itself to highlights the same way. But if Ohio State's undefeated, he's going to have monster stats. And often, that's a lot. You're the quarterback of the best team or one of the two best teams, and your stats are through the roof. That's a lot. Maybe somebody passes it, Stephen, but you better be going 80 to get past it. Sort of like how Troy Smith won the Heisman. And quite frankly, that's how a lot of people win the Heisman, unless there's a dude in that year who's just like the face of top college football because he's doing stuff to take over the sport. Is what That's Joe Burrow. That was, unless there's a Joe Burrow type of guy out there, the guy who just does his job every single week and it looks awesome while he's doing it, wins the Heisman Trophy. And like the Lamar case, right? Lamar Jackson yes. was like that. Lamar was... Oh, you watch Lamar and it's like, well, there's nobody like that. So it doesn't matter what his record is anymore. It's just Louisville's not going to win the national, but he's, and I don't think Hendon Hooker's there. I mean, I'm not, and and Johnny Manziel was like that. You watch Johnny Manziel. It's like, what is, nobody does that. He spun in a circle, right? So that kind of thing, I think, I think you have to be on alert for it, but um, I don't, I don't, I don't know who that would be exactly. Like, I guess it's Hendon Hooker, but that, He's got a needle of thread there. So that's one of those things. Just like anything, when we talk about players or teams, you want opportunity. Listen, man, he's playing George and Bama. If he beats them both, watch out. So he's got opportunity, but you you don't want the road to be too hard, right? So um, I don't think he has to beat both, but he's got to beat one. He's got to be, I think, 11-1 and with the only loss to either Bama or Georgia, and he was still good in that game. And then maybe it's a conversation. All right, we'll end it there. We wanted to sort of reset our Heisman thoughts. Uh, we always appreciate you guys sending in the rants that we sometimes turn into questions. If I feel like it's stuff that is better served for the three of us together, talking it out. Um, we try to save it for this podcast. Again, double podcasts on Friday in this feed. Try our YouTube channel. If you haven't before, cleveland.com. Search for cleveland.com and Ohio State football on YouTube. You'll find it. You know, we do our picks video. 
We do uh, our best prop bets of the week video. We find stuff in there. We do videos after the game. We do videos after Tuesday interviews. So you can find stuff there. You can certainly read us at cleveland.com slash OSU and try the college football survivor. So Shahan and I this week, uh, we kicked a team out. We put a team in the playoff discussion. And we did talk about how everybody has looked vulnerable in their own ways at various times this year. So we went through kind of everybody in the playoff picture, including Ohio state in that discussion for now for Nathan Baird and Stephen means I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye talk. <laughs>